Hey friends, um, so we're going to continue. This is our final week in this Faith and Politics series and um, looking forward to the conversation next Sunday. Uh, hopefully we can be in a neighborhood again, outside. Um, so I'm also going to attach an article to this for you to process. I think it kind of helps us um, summarize a lot of what we've been talking about. It's called uh, Six Ways Christians Can Be Wiser in Political Engagement. Um, but two things really jumped out at me in this article. Uh, one of them is uh, to localize. And, you know, it's easy to judge and critique um, and to try to enter the like national conversation, right? Um, but a lot of it honestly is empty. Uh, it's rhetoric as we discussed uh, last time. Um, for example, um, we talked about this before a little bit, but abortion, um, it's the, the facts actually say that the president uh, like whether Democrat or Republican does very little to impact the, um, you know, ultimate statistics about abortion. Um, and even the Supreme Court, if they were to overturn Roe v. Wade, that really would actually do, uh, very little, um, in, 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 um, in abortion. Um, and, and actually abortion has been on the decline, uh, for decades now, whether it's been a Republican or Democratic, president. Um, and ultimately, a lot of those decisions about abortion, for example, come down to a local level, like to the states and to how things are happening on the ground in neighborhoods and communities. Um, so the, the, the encouragement here is to localize. Um, and, and, and so next week, we're going to talk with someone, a friend of mine, who is doing some really good work locally here in Delco, in Delaware County area. Um, and you know, it's easy to feel like unless we do something big or unless we make a difference on a national level or, you know, to, to touch, you know, huge crowds or something that there's no fruit of our work. Um, but the reality is even nature, right, tells us we, we kind of look at the patterns in nature and you can see that, that things happen little by little, one to one, you know, um, and, 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 you know, this exponential multiplication, these movements in history that you can even look back and see how much was one to one to two to three to four and so on. And things grow exponentially that way. But at the beginning, it always seems like maybe nothing is happening. You know, when you put that seed in the ground, um, it doesn't seem like much is happening. And actually, nature even tells us that um, there's a lot of suffering, uh, a lot of death, you know, um, that takes place in that process. So uh, what we want, right, we want these big epic things, right, and we want it to happen with as little uh, suffering and as little pushback and difficulty as possible. But the reality is things happen. This is even the way of Jesus, right? You know, um, there's suffering, there's death that leads to resurrection and life. Um, so we can be encouraged that the work we do on a small scale in the local level is actually the work of redemption um, and change. And it's really where um, political engagement uh, flourishes. So, all right. So that was the first thing that jumped at me. We'll talk a little more about that next week. Uh, the second one was be joyful. And here's what they say. Uh, Dower is the mood and unimaginative the tone when it comes to mainstream political rhetoric. Pundits of every persuasion insist on the seriousness of the times, but does that necessitate being mean-spirited and boring? 
For Christians, there is a holy frivolity born of the Spirit. When the early Christians were beaten and rejected, their political response was to ignore the injunctions against them and then to rejoice. No matter how serious the issues Christians face, let's be a joyful people in our public witness, avoiding the gloom and doom posture that so characterizes much in the political discourse. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, after all, we have a living hope we should carry in our very countenance. Our very countenance. So I'm guilty of this, right? Of jumping on this, like, you know, negative bandwagon and doom and gloom. And uh, ultimately, then that leads to bitterness and feeling very dissatisfied with the way things are and where it's going in life. And then you realize after a while that you're not all that much different than the culture around us. You sound a lot like our mainstream uh, media and political pundits and... All of a sudden, it's like, oh, our tone, our posture, uh, it's not much different. And the next thing you know, you're devouring uh, each other. And we've gotten sucked into the way of fear instead of love and joy. Galatians 5, uh, this is sort of our main text today, says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve each other through love. All the law has been fulfilled in a single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, be careful that you don't get eaten up by each other. Ooh, it feels like there's a lot of eating up eating up going on out there right now, isn't it? So I want, to, I want you to think, um, maybe think about some dialogue you've had recently, uh, or dialogue you've witnessed or listened to, or some of the conversations you've uh, been around, or, you know, what was the tone? Um, What was the posture? What do you think was the aim? Was it doom and gloom? Was the posture hopeful, fearful? Was there shame involved? What was the motivation? Was it to win an argument? Did you feel like there was people trying to win an argument? Was it to punish, to slander, to shame another person? Um, Was it to fight? Did you feel like there was fighting for one's own rights going on? Or was it to consider the rights of others? Uh, what What do you think was lurking under the surface of those conversations? Was it joy and connection and love? Or was it shame and fear? Remember our framework We talked about this several weeks back. Our framework as followers of Jesus is the love of neighbor, the love of the other. So everything we do in in the political sphere um, is oriented around how can I be a people for my neighbor and for others. Yet I mm, I wonder how much of the time we do this more begrudgingly. First um, Thessalonians 5, 16, 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And, and I'm asking myself, how might the Spirit be inviting us into joy? Um, I was thinking recently, you know, about this framework of love for neighbor. And 
Um, I don't want to be the kind of person who loves my neighbor because I have to, or because I, you know, it's the right thing to do, right? Like in a kind of um, grin and bear it kind of way, like, oh, I've got to bite my tongue right now because really what I want to do to this person is devour them, but that's not the Christian thing to do. So I got to bite my tongue and, oh, you know, just wade my way through this difficulty and pretend ultimately that I'm loving them. But, you know, I wonder if we've settled for this kind of management approach, or as Dallas Willard calls it, a sin management. You know, this this idea where we're just trying to manage our outward behavior only to always come up short, right, and unsatisfied. And is it possible that Jesus is inviting us to become the kind of people who live out of joy. You know, a lot of times it's like, well, what's inside of us is really the same thing that's inside of everyone else, you know, that we're seeing that all of this fear come out and uh, judgment and shame. And, you know, we as Christians sometimes try to put a cap on it and keep it hidden and under control, but it ultimately it kind of comes to the surface. And that's understandable, right? There's wounds, there's pains, there's all sorts of things wrapped up in it. But Jesus is inviting us to become the kind of people who out of us actually comes joy. Who, the kind of people in the midst of suffering, when the heat is turned up, the thing that spills out from us is Joy. Now, this takes a lot of soul inward work and therapy and counseling and advisors and friends and people that will get around us to process life and uh, unpack our wounds and our our affections and our loves and our fears. Um, But I just want to set before us the aim that we actually can become people of joy. Acts 5 says the apostles left the council rejoicing because they had been regarded as worthy to suffer disgrace for the sake of the name, for the sake of Jesus. I don't know if you just go out there and do that. Like, I mean, it's easy to like say that and then go, all right, guys, go this week and be joyful. Rejoice in your suffering this week. Friends, it doesn't just happen that way. You know, you don't just go turn it on. That's that's this is this is something that requires renovation and transformation in the in, in the depth of our being and our souls. This is work of being connected with Jesus and connected with others who, who who journey with us on this road of soul renovation. So as I think about political engagement, I wonder if all along the spirit is really inviting us to look inward, to look deeper to die more, right? To let go a little bit more. You know, as people of Jesus and the redemption, I can say this is who we are. The message today is not you're bad, you've failed, go out and be more joyful, what's wrong with you, why don't you get it together, why don't you have, uh, you know, why aren't you loving enough, come on guys, go love your neighbor a little bit more this week. No, that's not the message. The message is, friends, we are people of joy in the midst of pain, people of compassion in the midst of fear, people of love in the midst of hatred. This is who you are. This is who 
we are. It's a call in. It's an invitation to be who we've been made to be. It's not a call out and shame you and judge you for failing to be that. It's a reminder that we all need this is who we are. You don't have to fight for your rights because you've already been given freedom. You don't have to earn your approval because you've already been approved. You don't have to wage war against your enemy because you know the war has already been won. And it's from that place then we can let the joy of Jesus spill out from us. And the question I'm asking a lot lately is how is the Spirit inviting me into joy? Not some shallow happiness tied to my circumstances, my careers, my successes, my approval, how my job is going, how my relationships are. No, but joy that is a result of the Father who is glad to be with me. Joy that is rooted in a deep love for myself, not some egotistical love most of us spend our whole lives trying to build, but love that is rooted deep with deep connection with divine love. And how might that joy, that love, spill out from us, spill out from our lives, overflow from our lives into the public square? Our guest next week is going to share some of this, uh, some of her story about shame and joy and how this is spilling out locally for the sake of others. Uh, So I look forward to processing with you next Sunday in the neighborhood. Have a great week, friends.